Hey everybody, welcome back to the Rockman Power Hour. My name is Jason Rockman and uh, I am your host for today. Uh, I will be joined by my co-host Ryan Stick, who, who I will bring on in a moment. But I just wanted to uh, tell you right off the bat, um, thank you for uh, joining us and thank you for being a part of our journey on this podcast thing that we're doing. Uh, make sure that you like, subscribe, hit the bell below if you are watching us on YouTube and that way you'll be alerted uh, every time we upload a new episode and we do that every Monday. Now, let's bring in my co-host host uh ryan stick what's going on bud uh it's going well man i'm uh, super excited about the episode today man uh, metal blade records is near and dear to my heart and uh the beginning of metallica's journey all of it it's uh yeah. i loved editing this interview man sometimes you send me ones and i'm just like that's cool but then there's ones <laughs> where i'm like really invested and i'm just yeah. like wow and then what happened brian yeah so so um like mm. Ryan said, um, we, 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 you know, if, you, if you're into metal music and if you, if you're someone that's followed, uh, the careers of many metal bands, um, like Metallica, like Slayer and, and so many more, uh, we are, uh, joined today by Brian Slagle, who is the, uh, founder, um, and, uh, owner of Metal Blade Records. Now, now what's interesting about Brian is he's a real music fan and that's never left him. You can tell during our chat that he lives and breathes music. He lives and breathes metal music, and he also lives and breathes hockey. So we got to talk a little bit about hockey as well. And uh, it, it, I just, I just like this guy, Ryan. I mean, you know, when you interview someone and you see, you see a bit of yourself in them, and and I could totally see the passion. You know, I, both of us are passionate guys about so many things, and you could see his passion for music, and you could see his passion for hockey, and and I think he he's someone that uh, he's you know he's he's done a lot, but he stayed humble. You know, he's not someone mm. that's let it get to his head. Um, and I think he's always about forward motion. And, and uh, you know, like he, he mentions, I don't want to give anything away, but he mentions at one point that he'll never sell his label. And I love mm. that. I love hearing that. Like, I'm never going to sell my record label. As long as I'm alive, it's going to be me doing it. And I think that's great. You don't hear that anymore. Nowadays, people want to start stuff just to sell it. So they can yeah, move on it, to the next thing. And Seeing you guys dork out about vinyl was pretty cute. You both yeah. had stars, twinkles in your eyes and stuff. And when he was talking about his commitment to vinyl, like, and how he would never abandon it, uh, you know, there was a smile upon your face. So look for that smile, yeah. ladies and gentlemen, because it, uh, it definitely was there. I think uh, this is one of my favorite episodes of the podcast so far. It, it, sure. it was definitely a fun one. Uh, but before we go too far, we got a couple of people we need to thank. Uh, first off, let's thank our title sponsor, uh, the people that are responsible for bringing the Rockman Power Hour to you every week into your homes, and that is Heartbeat Hot Sauce. Today, I've decided to uh, big up the Pineapple Habanero, and uh, and I absolutely really, really love this one. What do you got with you? I got the... I got the red habanero yeah. and the once again the greatest hit of all the dill pickle you yeah. know the one that seems to turn the most heads in uh, my little uh, bubble of uh, friends and family yep so uh, if you have not tried heartbeat hot sauce yet do yourself a favor give them a try uh, they're a small batch fermenter company that make great hot sauce out of Thunder Bay Ontario and you can find them at heartbeathotsauce.com uh, thanks to them thanks to Al and the whole crew over there who are uh, who are wonderful and uh, we're looking forward to uh, to continuing on with them so try their hot sauce also, we need to uh, give a big thanks to our uh, buddies at Studio House Designs who always keep us looking fresh. Ryan, you got the Reservoir Dog shirt on today. Um, what do you got on? I got on Dune, man. The David Lynch Dune. I love. Oh, that is so cool and yeah. so pretty and so trippy. Yeah, and I love on the back, it's got a whole, the whole fear is the mind killer quote. Um, I'm As you know, I mean, we started this whole podcast journey talking about the new Dune movie, the Denis Villeneuve Dune. So yeah. uh, Dune's near and dear to my heart. And the fact that these guys make shirts um, 
about you know that 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 are based on movies that I love. Uh, they always do a great job. You've got the Reservoir Dogs on, which is just a a great great shirt, and the long yeah, sleeve the sleeves on. Check that. this out. Look at the detail. They yeah. even have all the characters on the arms. I gotta get like, the, I gotta get that one. I don't have that that don't was have a that big one. selling point to me. <laughs> Usually, I see T-shirt companies just put it on there. Nothing on the back, nothing on the arms, and you're like, and fuck off. Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. They're 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 great. Um, they they print on great quality, super soft shirts. So, um, mm. big up to uh, to Cody and Aaron and the whole crew over at Studio House Designs for keeping us looking fresh. So, um, why don't we do it, Ryan? Why don't we right go, go right to our interview with Brian? Um, this was a, a fun chat. Uh, he, again, this this man is a um, is a legend in the metal community, and it's crazy how he's impacted so many musicians' lives, and he's never doesn't actually play music well maybe he does i don't think we even asked that but um he's not a musician he's a a, a label head and not very often do you hear musicians giving praise to their labels <laughs> most of the time it's like those pieces of crap rob me but uh brian's yeah. above board i've never heard one bad thing about this guy and that's the truth and i've been in the business for a while now uh, i've been I've, I've had my ear to the ground i love hearing the stories the dirt the behind the scenes stuff never heard a bad word about brian slagle so I'm happy to bring this chat to you. Here it is, our chat with Brian Slagle from Metal Blade Records. Um, thanks for joining us today, man. Um, you're you're a guy whose name I've heard around the music business for years, um, and uh, and and you have a very very interesting story. So I was really happy you agreed to come chat with us today because uh, you know. There's there's people that are passionate about music that that enjoy music. There's people that play music, but then there's people that actually help people's dreams come true. And you're one of those guys that that did that, and you did it in a time where it wasn't the easiest thing to do. Um, so, first of all, thanks for being here. Uh, second of all, congratulations on a 40 year career with Metal Blade. I mean, that's fucking crazy, dude. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very crazy. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. So when you when you think back. Um, I mean, obviously, I mean, anybody that does anything with, with, um, you know, with a, a amount of longevity, you, you look back and it, there's some fondness, but do you ever look back and go, why the fuck did I decide to do that and not do something else? Or is it always like, I'm glad I went that way? Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I, I lucked into it really. I, I had no intention of, of starting a record label doing anything like that. I, yeah. I actually, thought, I actually thought I was gonna be a journalist. Uh, right. But uh, it worked out okay, I think. And, uh, you know, look, it, for me, it's just, uh, you know, the, the thing that got me really into it was, you know, I was working at a record store, which kind of was my dream job. And just being able to turn people on to music that they might not know about, especially back then, you know, 1981 and 82. I mean, the, this whole scene in Europe was happening and people in Los Angeles had no idea, but there are a lot of metalheads there. So it was yeah. fun to turn people on to, you know, Merciful Fade and Accept and Iron Maiden and all these great bands. Um, you know, you're instrumental in, in helping Metallica get their name out there. Uh, when you think of that now and, you know, where Metallica is, I mean, Metallica are arguably, you know, the Beatles of our generation. They're, they're one of those bands that's going to be up on there, you know, with the pillars of rock. Uh, is it crazy when you think that you had a, a small part to play in, in bringing them to the world for the first time? Yeah, it's always very bizarre. It, it must uh, be a it must be a little bizarre because you know when you're doing it, you're just going through the motions. It's just like yeah, he was your buddy, and you put him on the comp. But when you think of it now, I mean, you gave them one of their first breaks. Yeah, I mean, and they're you know they're first of all they're still really good friends of mine, which is right. I think I'm more happy than anything else. Of course, almost. of course, they're, they're still really good guys, and you don't really you know people that get to that 
height of success sometimes change a lot and those guys really have it and they always are incredibly nice to me and 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 metal blade and what we've done in terms of you know always pointing out that it wasn't for brian this we might not have ever been here which yeah you know is, is what it is it's kind of you know it's nice to say but I'm, I'm sure something would have happened nonetheless but um yeah just the timing was just crazy and it, it, the whole scene back then was just so bizarre because you know we were just huge fans of the music and you know, I couldn't play an instrument, so I was yeah. like trying to do everything else I could. And you know, those guys, you know, Lars obviously was a massive fan. And I, it's funny because you know when we were friends, he was this like crazy little sixteen-year-old kid, and you know, had all this stuff going on. And you know, I was over at his his uh, one of the funny stories was I was over at his his uh, his parents' house, and we we're in his bedroom listening to music, and he had a drum set in the corner, not put together, just like in in a in a pile. I go, what is that? What is that for? He goes, I'm going to put together a band. I go, yeah, sure you are. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, all these years later, Jesus. Um, it, you know, it's. Um, I mean, you've done so many things. I mean, obviously the Metallica things. It's 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 like low bearing fruit. I mean, it's easy to grab and, and easy to talk about. But you helped so many bands get their start. But I think the most impressive thing is that you guys have longevity and you've had longevity and you've always been relevant, you know, even when there's been slight dips and maybe the, you know, the, the popularity of metal, but metal blades always been one of these names that's been respected. Um, there's been, you know, there's like a handful of independent labels that were like that, you know, there was you guys, there was roadrunner, um, you know, on the hardcore scene, there was revelation, there was victory, but it, when you think about it, metal blades so relevant today, still, I mean, you guys are continuing to bring new bands to the forefront. I, is that does that speak to the passion of, of what you and obviously you have a team with you now? I mean, it's not just you, but that must speak to the passion that's ingrained in 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 the I guess in the recipe for Middle Blade, right? Oh, 100 percent. I mean, we we're all fans. Everybody that works at the label, I mean, everybody that's ever worked at the label are all fans of the music. Yeah. And still we're still fans of the music. You know, we've had you know a lot of people that have been at the label for you know over 30 years and over 20 years and even some of the newbies have been there over 10 years now it's just kind of crazy but yeah we're all we're all just big music fans and we all really care about what we do and we care about the bands and we care about doing a really good job in terms of whatever doing with the bands whether it be you know the physical product or you know just the presentation and all those sort of things and the bands are also all friends yeah. Like everybody's all friendly. So you want to make, you want to do the best you can for your friends. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. And I've been just incredibly lucky to be working with a, a ton of really amazing people that certainly made my job a lot easier. And, and really that's the essence of why the label has been around for so long, I think. So when you started this thing, um, it was just you, right? Yeah, it was for three years. It was me in uh, the back of my mom's house in a little garage in the San Fernando Valley, Woodland Hills, California, with no yeah. air conditioning, where it's 160 <laughs> in summertime. So I guess that's why I, I'm, I love the desert. I just kind of got used to the, to the heat. But yeah, yeah I just me for three years and I, I did everything. And it was, I didn't really think about it as a, as a job necessarily, because it was so much fun. I was learning every day. I mean, it was literally 17 hours a day, every single day, seven days a week. But I loved it. It was a lot of fun. And it was, uh, you know, just discovering bands and learning things. And, and again, trying to help them out was uh, a lot of fun. I look back on it now, I go, that was pretty insane. But yeah, yeah it was all right back in the day. When it comes to um, the way the music business has changed, and obviously, you know, like, the, and, you know, 40 years, you're going to see trends come and go, you know, you're going to see so many different formats, you know, you know, vinyl to cassettes, to CDs, to streaming back to vinyl. And, you know, so many different processes too. I mean, like I imagine when you're 
when you're throwing together, you know, just the art direction, when you're putting together the packaging, like the way you would put together packaging, let's say for the first metal massacre, um, to the way you put together packaging for records now, I mean, computers, just everything. It, so you've really seen it all when it comes to, to how to put a product from idea to in someone's hands. Yeah. It's, it's crazy how, how things have changed. And obviously with all the technology that's made things a lot easier, a lot of things are made much easier by technology. And that's, I think, been a big help for us as well. But yeah, it's kind of an insane that the, the weird thing to me, though, is that, you know, here we are 40 years later, we're still producing a ton of vinyl. Yeah. You know, I mean, it it's, looks the same. It's, you know, it's a 12 inch record with sure. artwork. You know, we try to do a lot of crazy packages and stuff whenever we can too, but yeah. it's, it's fundamentally that part of it is, is the same, which is probably the only thing that we do today that is, is the same, but how you make those and, all that is obviously a lot different, but yeah, it's, it's been in, I mean, just, you know, when I started out, I mean, there was no internet, there was no <laughs> cell phones, yeah. there was, you know, nothing. So it was a, a whole different time for sure. I heard a story um, about how, when you guys, when that switch happened to CDs from vinyl to CDs, um, you guys ended up getting a ton of returns and you had to pretty much float the label on your credit cards for a while. Yeah. So I was, you know, I grew up in the seventies, so I was a vinyl fanatic and yeah. I had a huge collection and everybody kept telling me vinyl's going away. It's going away. It's going to be replaced by CDs. I mean, no, it's not. Vinyl's never going to die. Da, da, da. Yeah. So I never listened to all these people and didn't stop making vinyl when, when we should have. And in it, it really happened in, in over a week where just every record store in the country decided, okay, that's it. Vinyl, we're going to ship it all back and we're going to start bringing in only CDs. And we had so much vinyl out there because, again, I was an idiot and didn't listen to anybody <laughs> that and the way the, the record business works uh, back then and still a little bit today yeah. is it's a, it's a consignment. So if you make 30,000 albums and you ship them out to the stores and they don't sell, they all get shipped back and you owe that money. So I owed our distributor, you know, I don't know what it was, $150,000 or something back then. <sighs> And which meant that, you know, they couldn't pay me anything for a while. And I said, all right. So I just figured the only way to do it, I just, I literally got every credit, you know, when you get those credit card things in the mail, yeah. I answered all of them and was lucky to get a bunch of them. And yeah, just kind of backfilled the company for about four or five months uh, on credit cards. Until you could start pr producing CDs. Yeah. Well, we were making CDs anyway, yeah, but, but, but just, to, and, yeah, but, but it takes a while the way these, especially back then, you know, you don't, you don't get, you don't get paid for the product that you ship out no, for like yeah. 90 days and all these sort of things. Oh yeah. So, yeah. No, I'm, I'm aware. I remember. Yeah. yeah. It, it took a while, but, uh, and, but that being said, that was a humongous mistake that I made. And I think one of the reasons why we have been around for 40 years is we're not afraid to learn from our mistakes. Sure. That's the most important thing because I made every mistake humanly possible, especially the first two or three years yeah. of doing this thing. As long as you learn from those, you know, that that's helped. And I think especially that big of a mistake really learned for me and the company as well is like, okay, whenever there's new technology, let's embrace it and not go against it. No, again. no, definitely. Definitely. It's like an uphill battle. It's a, you know, and it's funny because if you were to probably take all that vinyl now and throw it up on Discogs, kids would be clamoring for it. Well, the only smart thing I did was I, I could not bear to destroy it. No, of I course could not. could not bear to destroy it. So we, we had a warehouse in, in Phoenix where we had all of our stuff and with this gigantic wall of vinyl. It's huge. And whenever people come there, why are you keeping all this vinyl? I go, I just can't. Like, and it had to be climate controlled in Arizona and all this sure, stuff. So sure. it, wasn't, it wasn't cheap to keep it around, but I, I can't. I can't 
I just can't destroy it. It's too, it's just not right. So we kept it. And of course, years later, vinyl comes back. Yeah. That ended up being a, a good thing. Yeah. Were, oh yeah, so, man. I, that, that, when I heard that story, the first thing I thought of was, now that guy's smart. He probably kept it and then flipped it on the Discogs and people want it for, you know, like, I mean, listen, the reality is that a lot of that first press stuff, um, people, people want it. And when I see stuff, what, what it trades for on Discogs, especially the old, old stuff, it's crazy. It's insane. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. I didn't, you know, I didn't keep a lot of it thinking that I was being smart. I just kept it because. Cause you didn't want to throw it. Yeah. <laughs> Why would you? Yeah. yeah. Never would have thought it would ever come back, certainly to the degree it is now, but yeah. it, it does make sense though, because I still think it's the best medium to listen, especially metal, because it, the, for whatever reason, when it's transformed on a piece of vinyl, just everything is, feels warmer. And oh yeah. Yeah. No, it, it's because it's organic music and it's made with organic instruments, you know, for the most part. So uh, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I, you know, I remember that shift. I remember having all my vinyl and it was in the trunk of my car and I dumped it because I was like, these CDs are great. And I fucking can't stand CDs. Uh, you know, I mean, they're, they, they serve a purpose and, and I know, but man, I, when vinyl started coming back, I was so happy. And, and I remember all of my, you know, audiophile friends never gave up on vinyl. They were just, you know, and certain things were always pressed on vinyl. Like even in the nineties, I remember, you know, those first Pearl Jam albums, you could still buy them on vinyl, but it was at an independent record store and they were very limited. So it's fun to see vinyl kind of always be there and never really let go, but have a, you know, my kids, I've got a 17 and a 14 year old and they love vinyl. You know, I take my daughter vinyl shopping and she loves, and that's a rule. Like we go into the record store, you can have whatever you want. I mean, within, within reason, but, but I, I, I never, I never, you know, give her any grief about wanting music because I want her to support music and understand that you've got to give the artist back, you know, a bit of money and not just take it because music's been so devalued with streaming um, that it's, it's, it's nice to see, you know, and, and I know when you look at, you know, the, the grand scheme, everyone talks about vinyl, but when you look at the grand scheme of things, it still represents a very, very small percentage, but it's just nice to see that every year it gets a little bit stronger, a little bit stronger. And, you know, there's, there's backups at the plants and stuff that that's a good sign. It means people want it. Yeah. And that's uh, excellent parenting. So thank you for that. <laughs> uh, so listen, uh, metal massacre volume one, the, 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 the kind of, you know, the thing that started it all for you is getting a repress. Um, what was that like putting that together and and seeing that come out and how much of it is um is true to the original packaging versus uh some embellishments or is, is there anything bonus on there extra what can people expect so yeah um i wanted to do this forever in fact i was just in the office in la uh, the last few days and we we're kind of talking about that I, i've i've been talking about doing this forever but i just was really afraid to do it because i didn't know who owned the rights if everybody's going to want to be involved in yeah. it it just seemed like a gigantic headache so I kind of put it off. Kind of like the off. first time you did it. <laughs> yeah. So I put it off forever. And then, you know, when the 40th anniversary rolled by, I was like, ah, you know, another anniversary. We do these every five years. I kind of get sick of them. And I was like, eh, I don't know. I didn't really want to do anything. Right. And then I started talking to some of the like the top high-end music executives. I'm like, no, 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 this is a big thing. You need to, you need to really do something. All right. So I figured, well, I guess if we're going to do an anniversary thing, probably the Metal Master would be the easiest thing to do. So I sat down on my computer and I reached out to all the bands and literally within two hours, it was done. Everybody wow. agreed. It's amazing. We're all in. And I was just, I was blown away. And then the process of getting all the, all the, the materials and everything, everything was like super cool. Everything was really easy. You know, we had to, obviously we, we, you know, lost the rights 35 years ago. So everybody had to sign a new agreement and they were yeah. all fine with that. 
And then Metallica came in and said, hey, we want to do an additional 2,000 copies exclusively for the Met Club with wow. a different color. Is that cool? And I said, of course. I had to go back to the band and ask them, and they all said yes. Of course. So that was cool. So the, the one different thing about this is, so in the original Metal Masker, Steeler was on the very first version of it. Okay. And then when we can, there are no contracts, by the way, on that, on the first version, I just, I didn't know what I was doing. I couldn't afford a lawyer. So luckily this guy upstairs from the record store, I worked out as a lawyer starting out. He said, I'll be your lawyer for like, you know, basically nothing. So we got agreements. And by the way, he's still our lawyer 40 years later. And I love it. Also represents a whole bunch of huge artists and producers and stuff. So, so anyway, so they were off and then the second pressing, well, actually technically the third pressing, I guess, uh, we put black and blue on in, in their, in their place. So I kind of wanted to see if everybody's in and obviously all the bands are in. So it's it's different in the fact that both Black and Blue and Steeler are, are on this. Are included. The armor and everything is exactly the same on the outside. On the inside, we did put a, a collage of pictures and extra special thanks and all that sort of stuff. So that's the only thing that's really different. Um, in all the time that you've been doing this, uh, what would you say, I mean, obviously, you know, the Metal Massacre Volume 1 something you're very proud of, but what would you say would be the band after that, that you ended up discovering, pushing, um, being the first on that you would be the proudest of. And I know that's hard. To, it's probably hard to pick, but what, what would be one of the ones that, that stands out? Yeah, it, I mean, that's obviously, you know, almost impossible to yeah. do because there's been so many. But but I will go back to, and I'm wearing the shirt today. Armored Saint. Uh, yeah. Armored Saint because of a few reasons. Number one, they were the first band to get signed off of Metal Blade to a major life, like very early on. We put out that EP and then they got signed. And nobody, we were a tiny little label. You know, I think at that point there was me, uh, myself, Bill Matoyer, and we had like maybe one other person helping us. And it was a very, very small label at the time. And Armored Saint was really great about every single major magazine that they were interviewed in. Went off to say Metal Blade, Metal Blade, it gave us all this great exposure, sure. which really helped a lot of people who had never heard of the label before. And they're very, very good friends of mine. Um, you know, they had a, a bit of a rough career, uh, major labels, uh, you know how that goes sometimes. Yeah. And unfortunately, Dave Pritchard, their main writer, guitar player, passed away from leukemia. And the band had been pretty much broken up. And this was like 1988, I think it was. And they had made all these demos with Dave that were, I thought were the best stuff they've ever written. And I went back to them and said, hey, um, I know, because they basically broke it up. And I said, I know you guys, you know, don't want to do anything, but these songs are great. We can't let them die. And we were able to reform the band. That, that album became Cinema Salvation. You know, we got them up and running, doing big tours and management and all. Everything was, was set to explode. And then uh, 1991 hit and Nirvana and everybody pretty much ushered metal out the door. Right. But now years later, they've come back. They're doing great. Yeah. They're making phenomenal records, touring, and you know they're in a lot of the you know metal hall of fame sort of conversations and whatnot. So I'm I'm happy, and all those guys have had you know really good lives mm -hmm. and have done really well with themselves. And so uh, that's the makes me the most happy is to see all those bands do it. I mean, I can you know go on with you know a million other bands, Slayer and Cannibal and one of mine. But Armored Saint, just because it was so early in the beginning and and they really did a lot to help us. We obviously remained friends even then when they were on Christmas. So that was helpful. And it's nice, you know, because uh, a lot of, like you were mentioning, you know, major labels and stuff, but uh, but labels in general, you know, you hear so many horror stories and, you know, myself being a musician at one point, um, you know, and doing it and going out to LA and being, getting signed and doing OzFest and all that shit. It was fun, but, you know, I did everything I ever wanted to do in music except make a living. Um, but the one thing I, I have to say about, about you and about Metal Blade, you guys have a great reputation. 
Um, and I think that's something that that speaks volumes in the music industry because that doesn't always happen. And it obviously shows that there's some humanity in the label and there's some, you know, there, there's people in there that care. Um, and it's so, so rare. Yeah, I mean that, you know, I've always wanted to treat the bands as well as we could. We've, we've always paid royalties. We always do, you know, we pay them on everything. We're very yeah. transparent about that. And, you know, we, we, I mean, they're our friends. So you yeah. don't want to, you know, you yeah. don't want to fuck over your friends. friends. Yeah. And I, and I literally really don't care about money at all. This is why I've never sold a label and I never will. Cause I, that doesn't motivate me whatsoever. I'm, I'm able to make a very nice living and that's fine. Yeah. But I want everybody to be involved. You know, we, we want to pay the artists cause that's the biggest problem that you have with so many of these labels and look the major labels you know i'm not i don't want to sit here and you know rag on them because that's easy to do of course you know they're corporations and their you know their interests are in you know their interests and not necessarily the artist's interests all the time um and unfortunately there's been a lot of independent labels that have done the same thing and you know we've just never we've never wanted to do that i think another reason why i've been around for 40 years we've never had a problem yeah we've never, we've never had an issue with a band or anything if there is we resolve it pretty easily hopefully um, you've got a record coming out with Scott Ian. Uh, I spoke to Scott uh, a little while back, the Motor Sister album. I had a chance to sit with it. I love the record. It's just, it just reminds me of when music was fun in the seventies, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm in my fifties and I, it just, it just has a great vibe and, and speaking to both him and Pearl, uh, they seem really excited about it. Is it fun for you to be able to put out projects like that with, with people that obviously, you know, have, have high profile in their respective other projects, but to be able to put out like a side project like that? Oh, 100%. I mean, we do a lot of that stuff because it's yeah. super fun. Sure. And, you know, I'm friends with everybody in the band. And I mean, I really have to give credit, though, to Tracy Vera, who she pretty much runs Metal Plate at this point. Right. She's Joey Vera from Art Saint's wife. But she's she's really, really close with Scott and Pearl and, and also with the, all the other guys in the band. And she came to me and said, hey, they want to do this project. Do you want to put it out? I was like, absolutely. I mean, I'm friends with them as well. Yeah. But she's close friends with them because they have a kid the same age and all this stuff. So sure. she was the one that, that came to me with it. I said, I said, absolutely. It's phenomenal. So it's it's super fun to do those sort of things. The band is amazing. I love the way they did the record. They, they did it with my friend Jay Russell, who I think is one of the best producers yeah. in the game. And they just did it live. I think they I think it was three days. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's great. Like I. When I was talking to them, the, the way that band is put together and what it's based on is being, you know, we were a Mother Superior cover band. Like, who the fuck knows Mother Superior? It's like so, it's almost muzo. You know, it's like, wow, this is cool. So, the you know, and I had the only experience I really had with Mother Superior is when Rollins had them as his backing band when he toured with them in the 90s and I got to see them. But I didn't realize they had such a, you know, had, had such a loyal following. They do have this underground following of people that just love them. So to see that Scott was one of those people and um, and have it, you know, turn into a full-fledged band, I thought was great. So, so kudos to, to doing stuff like that too, because it's a fun record. Yeah. It's super fun. I mean, look, all those people in that band are just so incredibly talented. Too. Oh yeah. So yeah. yeah, yeah. A lot yeah, of fun yeah. to, to see them do their thing together too. And it's fun. Like you said, it's fun for them too. So that, that makes the whole thing really fun. Uh, lastly, uh, I, I have to ask you this because, you know, I, I mentioned before I am Canadian. I am from Montreal. I am from, you know, the city that has the, the greatest hockey franchise ever. <laughs> I see his face, <laughs> you know, Montreal Canadians. We've won a, a, a shit ton of cups. We're not the team we used to be, obviously, especially this year, but tell me about your love for hockey and, and being a guy from California. I mean, that's where did that come from? Cause I know you're a massive hockey fan. Yeah. Uh, so I played baseball when I was a kid. I played all sports, but I played baseball from like five to 18 and that was kind of my sport. Yeah. I always wanted to play hockey, 
but because I could skate pretty well, okay. but we didn't, we had no money. And back then it was really expensive equipment and ice time and all this stuff. So I never got a chance to play. So I'd been to a few Kings games uh, when I was a kid, but I was still really a baseball fan. So the guy that printed my fanzine, his dad did a bunch of work for the Kings and the Lakers. Yeah. And this is back in, you know, the, the early 80s. So instead of paying him, they just gave him season tickets to the Kings and the Lakers. And they weren't hockey fans. And I, I just kind of started getting back into hockey. It was the New York Islanders, with what happened. They, you know, they, uh, they weren't showing the games at all in the U.S. for a, while, for a couple of years in right. the like 70s, early 80s. So 1981, I think it was, some local channel picked up the Stanley Cup Finals with the Islanders. It was on like 11 o'clock, which is pretty much when I was done you know, doing whatever I was doing. So I yeah. sat down, started watching, got into it. So anyway, they, they knew that I was a big fan. They said, hey, do you want these Kings tickets? We'll give them to you for, you know, whatever the, the price was super cheap. So to make sure, and they were phenomenal seats in the corner. The, the forum where they played was a weird setup where the, the first row didn't start until about halfway up the glass. Yeah. So we were in the corner about 10 rows up. You, over the glass, you could see the entire ice. Mm-hmm. And I just became absolutely amazed and 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 super super in, into the sport and then it just kind of grew from there where i mean i was talking about tape trading cassette tapes i was tape trading videotapes with friends like because we couldn't see edmonton or calgary or yeah, the rangers sure. or the, so i had all this network where you know we'd all videotape games and send them around to everybody um so yeah i just i just got super into it i think in a, a weird way it was kind of my therapy too because it, i just could go to the game and just not think about anything or have be stressed out i just would enjoy the sport and it was super fun and since then yeah i've become just a fanatical fan i, I have i don't know i have an entire house that has is filled with memorabilia because i have 2500 hockey jerseys about a thousand wow. of those are game worns wow same thing i've got probably over a thousand videotapes of games from like the 70s all the way up to probably about 89 before we started getting satellite and all sort of things. So, and I've traveled everywhere. I've been to the world junior tournament four or five times. I've been to the world championships. I've been to the college hockey championships. Wow. You know, I've been all-star games, tons of Stanley Cup finals. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a lunatic. You, you've been to games and all, I mean, obviously you've been to, you saw games at the forum and in, in Montreal. Oh yeah. I've been to games in every city except for Winnipeg. Wow. <laughs> yeah. When, yeah. There's a very short window of weather up there that I'm. Really <laughs> I'm well, listen, I, they just announced that Winnipeg's going to get hammered with half the snow that they get I in a year. And it's like, oh, fuck, man. And I was just there in November. So, yeah, Winnipeg, uh, that's okay. You get forgiven for that one. <laughs> yeah, so, so I've been, I've been everywhere. I've been to all, the, I've been to all the old arenas. I've been to the Chicago Stadium. I've been to Boston Garden. I've been wow. to the old Forum in Montreal, the old Maple Leaf Gardens. Yeah, I've seen, I've seen tons and tons of, of games and, and, and every single league. I've seen games in Europe. I mean, yeah, I'm, I, at one point I had season tickets for six hockey teams. I had the Coyote, <laughs> the Sharks, the Ducks, the Kings, and the New Jersey Devils because we had an office in New York. And this is when the Devils were terrible. So you could buy the tickets for almost for nothing. nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And do you have a, an affinity for the old, you know, like the original six? And I, I mean, you must, I, as much as you, I imagine you're a Kings fan, right? Is that your, is that your, well, so here's the weird thing. Like, yeah. I mean, yes and no. Because so what you're I, telling me, you sound like you like everything, but who who, what's your, who do you root for? You got to have one that you root for. So my favorite team, yeah. strangely enough, is the Pittsburgh Penguins. Okay, that's okay. And the reason why is because when I was a little kid, I was really, I still am kind of sort of, but I was really into Penguins. 
Okay. When I heard that there was a sports team named the Penguins, I'm like, okay, they're going to be my team. And then, of course, Mario and Yager and everybody came yeah. along. Yeah. They've become this iconic franchise. But I like – so I, I'm a fan of the sport more than anything else. So I don't, I don't really – I like a lot of different teams, but I like teams that play up-tempo style. I like teams – you know, I don't like the old devil's defensive style, boring, clutch and grab. I like to see – I like skill. I like to see skill. I do like toughness as well, which unfortunately we're losing in the game. But yeah. So I like I like a lot of teams. Like I was rooting for Montreal last year. Damn right. I, I like a lot of their players, and I've been a big fan of Cole Caulfield when he was in college. And yeah, you know they're going to be a good team. And also Suzuki, who we mistakenly traded to Montreal, the, the Knights. With my Knights are my local team, and obviously yeah. I've been from day one. And I've I've been a fan of theirs until this year because they just. They've done, I have a lot of friends that work for them that are no longer working for them because of the culture there. And it's kind of yeah. a bummer. But, well, but I like, love Suzuki. So Suzuki's great. Um, and I loved last year when, you know, all the t-shirts were going around and they were calling him gold call field and, 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 you know, I mean, Gallagher, come on, Gallagher's got the biggest heart in the world. So I, I agree. I think, I think they're doing the necessary changes they need to, to, to get, but it's just such a fall from grace from last year to this year. I mean, man, you know, and it just shows you when you don't have the, uh, the one you don't want to say in Nets. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, you lose him, you lose Weber. I mean, you know, yeah. you're losing Hall of Fame players. It's just the team's just not going to be as good. But in a way, it's good. I mean, it, it's about time for them to rebuild, and they're they're rebuilding with a lot of really good young. Players. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think we're going to have a really competitive team in the next couple of years. But yeah, so it's yeah. great. So you're not a Habs hater because I know there's a lot of them out there. No, I really I'm trying to think. I I'm not a fan of the Flyers. Okay. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's anybody else that I don't really like. Uh, well, I don't like the Blackhawks at the at currently for a lot of their handling of situations. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I like, I mean, I was one of the few people in LA that liked the Kings and the Ducks. I might've been the only one. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a rivalry where you each team, they hate each other and the fans hate each other. Sure. I was like, I like both teams. Um, Brian, thanks so much for taking the time to chat today, man. It's been a real pleasure and, uh, and continued success. And, and you know, man, I, after now talking face to face with you, I, I get the passion now. I can see that you're, you're someone when you dive in, you dive in head first and, and you're in it. So, um, just continued success. And I'm looking forward to, to grabbing a copy of the metal massacre volume one. And, and I'm looking forward to seeing what the next 40 years look like. Yeah. Right. Hopefully it'll be fun. But thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. hundred percent, man. You know, I think it was really classy of you to not ask the same three questions that everyone else asks, like, so how did you meet Montalica? Yeah. Well, because yeah. we already know, and I'm going to say it right now. Um, so basically, Lars kind of start, really started Metallica. He always wanted to be in a band, but he used kind of Brian's compilation as the, you know, the kickstart to actually get it together. Yeah. And him and James, I think they pretty much were just the band themselves. I don't even think they had a basis yet when they record the original hit the lights. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's insane. Like when someone gets a moment of inspiration and it, you know, him starting the record label himself and uh, you know, just out of his mom's house or, or uh, the garage, you hear all these things yeah. and you're like, I've known some people in the world that are doers. And that's the only way I can describe Brian is he is a doer. Totally. I know people who talk a big game, but then there's the people who, throw caution to the wind and just go for it and while the rest of us are procrastinating waiting for life to give us our forest gump moment where everything just <laughs> everything just kind of works out as we walk through life there's other people that make make it happen and i think uh, him and lars are kindred spirits in that sense because they both said we're doing it yeah 
Yeah, no, yeah. it's it, it's 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 a great story of how a guy had an idea and he executed it, and and I love the idea that for the 40th anniversary of the label, they're putting the Metal Massacre back out like that that first compilation. They're they're reissuing it, and um, and I think that's great. So if you go to Metal Blade Records, you can check out uh, how you can pre-order that and uh, and get that on vinyl. And and there's all these different colors and stuff, and it's just it's nice to see. I, I'm like like you probably Ryan. I love when things are around for a while. Um, mm-hmm. I'm big on nostalgia. I'm big on, you know, in my own city, I love going to, I, I love, you know, one of my favorite places to go to eat in Montreal is Green Spot, just because I used to go there when I was a kid. Um, and it's still around and and it looks kind of the same, but they've updated it a little bit, but it's just got that same vibe and there's something comfortable. You know, it's got that, it's that cheers thing where everybody knows your name and it's comfortable and you've been there. And when places like that shut down, it really affects me and I get sad. So mm. seeing a label like Metal Blade still around with the same label head, uh, with the same mission, it's it's comforting, it's nice to see. And there's not many labels like that anymore. Most labels turn hands, uh, you know, the, excuse me, most labels change hands, most labels um, get swallowed up by a bigger label, and they're not the same thing anymore. But Metal Blade's Metal Blade, and they'll always be Metal Blade. And you gotta, you gotta love that. The only other label I know that's done that is Revelation, um, mm. the hardcore label. But besides that, man, uh, it, there, there's not many that do things the way they do it. So uh, it was a real treat to, to talk to Brian. So I want to thank, um, thank Sarah over at Looters for hooking that one up. And he's just an interesting dude, you know. And it's nice to to change it up a little bit. You know, we have actors sometimes. We have musicians but to have somebody that's behind the scenes but yet still a big figure in the community is is fun is fun you, you know it's amazing how brian he kind of reminds me of my uncle gordy uh <laughs> and and the thing is and then he talked about hockey for 10 minutes mm. and i'm like i think he is my uncle gordy but like a variant of him from another dimension or something yeah and uh i thought my uncle liked hockey but damn no no this guy likes yeah, this guy. all of hockey yeah, 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 and usually people yeah. are just like you know they'll be loyal to their teams and they're like all other teams go to hell. But no, he likes in general hockey as a sport yeah. in general. Yeah. No, I think it's uh, it's fun. It's fun. It's fun to see that to someone who just loves the game. Yeah. Because even, even in a metal sense, he loves all metal in a way. And usually metal heads are like, I like this metal. Yeah. I like this team. Everyone else can go to hell. Yeah. So good on good on him for being that open-minded, not only in a musical sense, but in a sports sense too. Let me ask you, um, your first mm. experience with with metal, um, mm. do you remember the first metal band you heard that really impacted you? Oh God. You know, what's funny is I was at cadet camp when I was like 13 and I was pretending to like Metallica to impress some people because they were <laughs> talking about Metallica. Yeah. But this guy was mentioning how... Uh, to me like yeah it's amazing how they can combine classical music and and modern music and heavy music so i just kept saying his sentence to other people pretending it was my own but then eventually when i did hear metallica it was all on new year's eve and i remember like i remember being very affected by metallica just how larger than life they seemed because the first time i ever saw them was in um was it was in the one music video right and then the heavy part kicks in and i wasn't aware that you were allowed to do that mm-hmm. i thought music was when you push start it's generally the same thing sure. until the end yeah, yeah and then the part where all three of them are head banging at the same time i was just like my jaw was on the floor i'm like this is the heaviest craziest thing i've ever seen i was like 12 i was like oh my god wow and uh you know and then and then kind of worked my way backwards but i remember seeing in the monsters of rock vhs with pantera and acdc uh they were playing like oh god i think they were playing uh 
what's the fuck? Creeping Death. Okay. I'm playing Creeping Death. And I fell in love with uh, it's really Ride to Lightning. I think that's to this day my Metallica album. Yeah. I love that album the most. What about you? Metallica. And it's funny because, you know, we're, mm. we, we have an age difference, but I, I grew up loving all music, but I really grew up, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a 70s kid, you know, and, mm. and, a te- and I was a teenager in the 80s. So I was kind of a lot of music that like 70s and 80s really shaped me, but the 90s were my was my music. And, and it's funny because I got into Metallica. They were pretty much the first metal band that I that I really, really latched on to. And I was really into New Order, Joy Division, um, Simple Minds, uh, Echo and the Bunnymen, all the new wave stuff, you know, the English beat ska, like all that stuff. And I loved Led Zeppelin. I was a Zeppelin freak, and I still am. But Metallica, I got into Metallica on And Justice for All. And it's funny oh, wow, because cool. I, I went to see them on that tour. And I remember getting that album and just being obsessed. And I, I'll never forget going to see Metallica at the Montreal Forum. And there I am in my button-down pink polo Ralph Lauren long-sleeve Oxford cloth pink polo shirt. You know, with, with, <laughs> with, I'm trying to imagine. Yeah, I saw yeah, you no, wear no. a white shirt once in 10 years. I'm trying to imagine these other colors. No, no. So I was, like, su- I was super prep. When I was young, I was super preppy. Remember, it was the 80s, right? So coming out of the 80s, you know, if you look at like pretty in pink and you look at all the, like I, I was into all that. I was, okay. I, I was into a lot of things, but, uh, but I was very, very preppy when I was, when I was a teenager. And I remember going to see Metallica at the Olympics, excuse me, at, uh, at the Montreal Forum on the first time, the first time they came through for Justice for All. And uh, I went with my buddy, Kevin, who's no longer with us. Not the Kevin, you know, but my, my friend, Kevin Gray. I was going to say, I was like, what have you not told no, me? No, 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 no. Kevin, <laughs> no, my, 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 a friend of mine, Kevin Gray, who's, who, uh, who unfortunately okay. isn't here anymore. But we mm-hmm. went to the show together and I'll never forget two things, okay? First of all, I'll never forget driving to the show. Um, I mm. got pulled over because I had, I had a brand new, my, my first car was a Mazda 323 hatchback mm. and I didn't have my license plate yet. So when you don't have your license plate, I'm sure it's still the same. You have a sticker, like a transit sticker that's in your window that shows that you have a license plate coming. Um, I, my transit sticker had fallen and this is back then, this is when I was still drinking and doing drugs. And I remember I got pulled over by the cops and there was a bunch of us in the car and we were so high and I got pulled over and it was um, a female cop and she was really uh, quite nice from what I remember. And this is a long time ago. I think I was probably 17 or 18. And I remember I got pulled over. She uh, gave me a warning for not having my transit sticker. And then I got back in the car and I look in the rearview mirror and all the guys are like, oh man, we were so nervous about that. And I look in the rearview mirror and behind my ear was a joint, a cone that was like a huge, like probably gram and a half cone joint that was behind my ear. Like you would put a cigarette behind your ear. And I had that behind my ear the whole time I was talking to her. So I'll never forget that was something that happened. Okay. (laughs) And then I remember getting to the forum and being, you know, halfway in the reds or maybe a little higher and looking down and seeing the floor and going, I've never seen people like that in my life. And I was immediately obsessed. Like, what is this? I want in. And it was just a haze of smoke. <laughs> and it wasn't from the smoke show. It was before. I mean, the whole place was just blazed. And it was just nuts. And that was back when you could smoke cigarettes. And just the whole vibe. And then when Metallica came out and played, I was hooked. And I've been a Metallica fan ever since. Hooked, hooked, hooked. I mean, uh-huh. I, and then like you, I went back. I went back and mm. listened to you know, um, Master of Puppets, Ride the Lightning, you know, Kill Them All, all that stuff. 
and then when the black album came out i you know i went to see them a bunch of times i've seen metallica probably 10 times maybe more and they never disappoint so the fact that brian was the beginning of that journey and gave them their first shot that's something that's just you know you never you can ride that for the rest of your life he, he wouldn't he wouldn't have had to do anything else but he did, of course, he kept moving, but he would have been able to use that as a claim to fame forever. Yeah, really cool that he was representing Armored Saint as well and the the personal story and the connection he had with that band and how they never forgot him. I mean, yeah. you know, let's face it, every rock and roll movie involves the person giving you their first shot and then the artist kind of chucking them aside when the bigger opportunity would come. Yeah, I mean, that happens all that happens all the time. And it's uh, really nice that even Metallica still acknowledge him and are still friends with him. I mean, that's a that's a big deal to me because I I always wanted to be famous just so I could be that person that doesn't forget where they came from. Yeah, and just but, be. You know. I, I know exactly what you mean because I've done some stuff in the past where I've been in a band. I you know I've had some success, small success, but still I always use that opportunity and that platform to try to be nice and try to be respectful to people and 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 try to give some kid who is actually excited about meeting you um, an opportunity to, to to have a good experience and not have it be like oh that guy was a fucking dick. And uh, so, yeah, you know, I seeing Metallica remembering Brian and and him, he says in our interview, they even wanted to do um, a variant, a color variant of uh, of the of the compilation through the Metallica fan club. I mean, that's cool. So I, I just got to bring it to this point, man. Uh, my, the I only knew about the transition of, oh, we're not making vinyl anymore from Wayne's World. And it's an off joke. Sure. Where Cassandra's like, can you believe they're not making vinyl anymore? And I was nine. I'm like the fuck is vinyl but you being a lover of vinyl yeah uh you know you witnessed this and i remember vhs slowly going the way of the buffalo when it came to dvds coming yep. in and and them not making dvds anymore and we're witnessing right now physical media is really even less and less and less future shop treats blu-rays as kind of like a come like a, like a drunk like a drunk uncle they have to invite to the yeah. wedding <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. but they put him in the back yeah, so we yeah. can't bother anybody uh tell me about you loving uh, like giving up your love of vinyl then re uh, you know then really embracing it again because you're a you're a vinyl superhero dude you love vinyl yeah i do I, I do yeah. i do i'm looking at it all now um it, it's you know what the thing with with records is that and i remember the day that i got rid of all my records i remember that they were in the trunk of that car i was talking about i remember bringing them all in there and i remember getting rid of my vinyl and i remember I remember buying my first records. I remember getting rid of my records and I remember buying my first compact discs. And my first compact disc were the five police albums. And I bought them at Discus at Covert Street Mall in like the mid eighties. And I remember they were $30 each. I remember it cost $150 for the five records. And, and I have, and I thought they were the coolest thing. And dude, CDs still are cool. The sound on mm. a CD is impeccable. Okay. You can't, but the problem is that when we went from CD to full on digital files, it just devalued music. Mm. And I understand the, there's things about digital files and there's things about having all that music on your phone and streaming and all that, that is so convenient. And I, and I love it, but I do like the idea of having, you know, if you really, really like an artist, mm. going and getting the vinyl is a nice thing to do because, you know, you put it on the turntable and that experience is just like no other, but not everybody wants physical stuff. Yeah. Not everybody be, wants to be weighed down by physical stuff. And I, I understand that. And I understand that technology comes to, a, you know, it, it, it progresses and things get better. And, and for some people it's like, well, why I, a friend of mine, Mitch, 
Mitch mm-hmm. Joel, who's a good buddy of ours. Mitch doesn't like physical media. He, he buys mm-hmm. comic books, but when it comes to movies and stuff like that, he's like, I like to have everything, you know, and you can see Mitch, like Mitch is all, you know, he's always super well-dressed and like, he's like, he's very like tech guy, you know, he got his, he, he's a tech Mitch guy. Mitch is in the Jetsons when we're the Flintstones when it, yeah, it comes to certain he, things. Yeah, yeah, he's one of those guys. So I could see that mm-hmm. he wants everything streamlined, but he still likes some stuff. Like he buys comics, he still buys pops. So, but I get some people, you know, for them, it's just too much to, to be bogged down by that. But when you have that experience, when you listen to vinyl, it's it's something special. So selling my records, I remember selling them going, I don't need all this crap anymore. I, I'm going to, I have CDs. I mean, why would I need all these? And, and I think about it sometimes and I kick myself, but mm-hmm. it's, it's just stuff. It's always stuff that you can always get back. And, but I do, I do like buying vinyl. I have to slow down on vinyl because vinyl takes up a lot of room. And yeah. I'm at the point where I've got these Ikea cubes that everybody buys for records. They're the best. And I'm at the point where I've got maybe two left and I can't go past that. I'm not, I'm not adding to that. I'll have to thin the herd right. out. But, um, but yeah, it's a great experience. Vinyl's great. Metal Blade's a great label. And I, it was just fun to talk to Brian today, you know, and just talk about music with a real fan. So I only have a few vinyl records, but as a result, they're very important to me. Kind right. of like my first few CDs when I was growing up. Like, yeah. you know, you only have so many. So, uh, you know, I still cherish each of them. And they're all individually kind of unique. Like um, our buddy Mike Babbins had a band called The Vaginal Croutons. And I've heard that CD and I had that CD. Never heard of it. Never heard of them. <laughs> and uh, there you go. That's a beautiful <laughs> vinyl right there. When they actually remastered it and put it out there. It, it sounds just, good. Um, it sounded good. It sounded like a real album, like mm-hmm. it was always meant to be. Yeah. And from a record that sounded like, you know, good, it was like, a, you know, more of a home studio type of recording. All of a sudden, like now it sounds like this, uh, this untouchable entity. Like before I could hear, oh, maybe you should turn the guitar lower there. Yeah. Now it just seems like this sound entity that is untouchable and just part of Montreal punk history. And I'm so glad to have that. Yeah, but also, but also, I just you know, like I said, all my records are very important to me. I ordered this. Uh, there's this game called Guardians of the Galaxy, in which um, you know uh, Star Lord is a band like Metallica yeah. that Peter Quill. It was his favorite band growing up, and when he was uh, abducted and he made a name for himself, he named himself after his favorite band. It's kind of like you know, if you or I named ourselves Iron Maiden or something, right? <laughs> um. Or maybe a more masculine name. <laughs> anyway, uh, it's really cool that they made original music. This guy, Steve Shikowski, he's uh, the audio director of uh, of the game. And uh, he ar- not only performed, but wrote all this original music with this guy, Johan Boudreau. Yeah. And uh, they actually released a Mondo, put out the vinyl of the album. And it just sounds so good. And I, I was listening to it in the video game. I was listening to it on Spotify. But man, there is something different about having it in yeah. your hand, yeah, I know. placing it on. The attention to detail of having to put the needle down, all of a sudden the music that's a, kind of like a semi-joke in a game is real. Oh, yeah. You yeah, know what it, I mean? Yeah. And, 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 and vinyl brings validity to the music and it brings weight and, and levity. And, and I find that the problem with digital files is there's just no there's no attention to detail you know we, we i think we talked about this with rain Mado when he was on if you go back he uh, a, a couple months back we had rain on and and he talked about how the record cover is like tiny so what's the point of having and you know paying attention to the art when no one really sees it and i get that so mm. i think people have to kind of fight for that a little bit and and bring that back and and certain genres of music 
really t pay attention to, to vinyl still. And and Mondo, Waxworks, those labels that do uh, soundtrack stuff are great because they really do care about the soundtracks. They they bring the, a, a beautiful experience to the whole thing. You know, colored vinyl. They remaster everything. It sounds good. And and this is what we're getting with physical media now, is we're getting boutique labels. So the same thing with Blu-rays. Um, you're mm -hmm. getting small labels like Shout Factory, like Arrow Video, um, like Kino Lober, like uh, Imprint in Australia. There's a bunch of them that will reissue movies, but they'll spend the time, re you know, sourcing the be getting the best source material to take the scans from, uh, commissioning new artwork for covers, going and finding past cast members and and crew, and doing in-depth interviews with them. Kind of like if you and I were to to put out a movie. Uh, or to, mm. to reissue a movie. Let's say you and I said, okay, we're going to reissue Jacob's Ladder and we love that movie. So let's go find the director and let's go. And we interview them. And, and all that stuff is included as bonus features. It makes it interesting for the collector. So what's great about physical media now is that it can't just be pushed out and accepted because people have a lot of places to spend their dollars. So someone yeah. like Mondo who puts out that Guardians thing, they include the extra comic. You know, they they. It, it's I a, know, dude. It, it's a great it's, and it's not like a Star Lord comic of Peter Quill. This is the band, like Kiss. Yeah, yeah. a comic book about the band. Like that attention to detail. I mean, that's how you save physical media. Try again yes, for a while there. Exactly. They're just putting out DVDs with no features at yeah. all. Of course they were going to die. Of yeah. course. Well, that's it. People will yeah. just get fed up. And now if you're in that game, if you're in the physical media game, you got to include stuff and you got to make it worth the, you know, you got to get the attention of the buyer. And the way you're going to do that is, is put a little effort in. So it doesn't surprise me that physical media still has its place because the people that are doing it, or at least doing it well, care. Mm. And that's what it all comes down to. Passion, right? And it all circles back to our guest today. Brian has passion and his passion is exuded in this interview and, and our chat. So it was great to have him on and it's always great to chat with you. Um, I want to thank, uh, our producer, Julia Kajerski, my co-host Ryan stick, of course, uh, heartbeat hot sauce for, uh, always making us, um, just die to have something to put it on <laughs> heartbeat hot sauce. Excellent. And, um, of course, studio host designs for keeping us looking fresh. And, uh, we will see you all next week on the Rockman power hour.